Y'all, there's only one place you can get a true Colorado mountain pie, and it's your favorite locally owned, legendary, unbelievably delicious pizza joint, Bojo's. Plus, guess what? They're giving the DNVR fam a free honey cheese bread with the purchase of an entree. That's right. The only place you can get find a true Colorado mountain mouthwatering pie is Bojo's, and they are hooking you up with a free honey cheese bread. The honey crust is already a staple at Bojo's, but then you add the cheese to it oh my god i'm getting hungry right now bojo's dough is made fresh daily and contains locally sourced honey you heard that right they infuse their dough with naturally sweetened and it is to die for there's something for everyone at bojo's large delicious mountain pies for the entire family a huge salad bar with fresh veggies galore colorado beer on top including our personal favorite breck brew and your favorite sports teams playing in the background so head over to your nearest location grab an entree and your free honey cheese bread when you mention dnvr check out their site today at bojos.com that's b-e-a-u-j-o-s.com and tell them who sent you Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsay breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landeskog. He has done it again. Vaughn Miller, ladies and gentlemen. Dump two hands. Nikola Jokic. Save me by Grubauer with the left pad. Oh, goodness gracious me. Take a good look. You won't see it from two on run. Trevor Story. Touchdown to Emmanuel Sanders. Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by the one and only Breckenridge Brewery. We've got Drew Creaseman here opening a good old Colorado core. What a great sound. Rudo is drinking a Strawberry Sky, which that I to this day, that's still my favorite. Is there Strawberry Skies in the fridge? Yeah. There's a bunch still in there, yeah. I Someone was like, hook it up. Gotta get <laughs> on it. <laughs> good guy. Is that one your favorite oh, too, wait, Never mind. I can't have that. Give me the Colorado core. There you go. The keto life. Strawberry yes. sky isn't keto. No, but uh, Colorado Core is. Well, there you go. Harrison, which There's one's your favorite? Option. I'm a Colorado Core guy. Still hasn't changed. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, we are being delivered beers. The champagne of by the beers. one Colorado and only Core. guy. Let's go. Thanks, You're man. right. It is the champagne of beers. Well, since neither the Nuggets and Avs played last night, we're going to start with some football talk. Pretty much everyone was shocked when news broke on Sunday that the Broncos had fired offensive coordinator Rich Scangarello. The move itself wasn't necessarily what shocked everyone, but it was the timing of it, especially because head coach Vic Fangio told the media that he did not expect any changes to be made on the coaching staff. Ryan, what were your thoughts after the news broke? We just finished talking about stability and continuity being so huge for this team moving forward. Yeah, it was uh, surprising for sure. John Elway before the season said that essentially the most important thing for a quarterback is continuity and consistency in terms of offensive scheme and coaches and all that stuff. And when you add that on top of the fact that Rich Scangarello, after the season, Vic Fangio said that he expects all of his coordinators to return, all of that, we thought really everyone on the staff was safe. Um, this came out of left field. 
And so my original reaction was like, what, what the hell? Um, but the more you look at it and the more that you start to think about, you know, you add together the comments that Joe Flacco made about the play calling. You add together the report that came out suggesting that there was a strife between the offensive staff and Vic Fangio. All that stuff combined with the fact that the Broncos offense wasn't good. Yeah. Um, made it seem once they had the opportunity to add Pat Shermer, who is a very, very well-respected offensive coordinator around the league, it makes sense as a move. It isn't official yet that the Broncos have hired Pat Shermer. What do you think is taking so long? <laughs> That's a great question, Allie. Because he was reported no that he visited Del Valley yesterday, and we still have no news. Yeah, it's odd. Um, these things, sometimes there's paperwork involved, that sort of stuff. Uh, but it, the longer that these things don't get done does give you a little bit of uh, suspicion or caution. Is there a connection between Pat Shermer and the Broncos' current coaching staff? Not really. Or, or is he just really regarded as, like, the top name that was out there for an offensive coordinator post, and that's why they pounced on him? I think that, one, uh, he has a good relationship with Vic Fangio. They haven't worked together, but they've both been coaching or in and been around for yeah. so long that they have a really good relationship. Um, it's much more along the lines of what Fangio wanted to do from day one. Um, Scangarello was much more of an Elway idea. And so mm. I think when you mix that together, I think once he got fired by the Giants, Vic Fangio went to John Elway and presented him a case as for why they should fire Scangarello and hire Shermer, and Elway bought it, um, which I think is a surprise to a lot of people because usually it's you know Elway's way or the highway. That's a lot of way in there. But um, <laughs> he's really, really well regarded. The crazy thing, and this has been the most impressive thing to me as I've looked over Pat Shermer's resume over the last couple days, he has never worked with a great quarterback once, not even a borderline great quarterback, except for Eli Manning, who he worked with when he was 38 years old. So definitely no longer great. If you look at the quarterbacks that he's been stuck with, Sam Bradford, you know, Nick Foles, really, really marginal guys. Case Keenum, right? Case Keenum. One, all of their best years have been with him. But, two, the fact that he's worked with all these guys, never once had a great quarterback, and still survived and was is well-regarded around the league is crazy to me because I always talk about a coach is only as good as his quarterback, and he's kind of proved that wrong. He's proved that he can get the best out of very mediocre guys. And so if Drew Locke is who we think he is, he could quickly become the best quarterback that Shermer's ever had at his disposal, and we could see a, a – a, a version of Shermer that we didn't even know existed, a another level of him. Shermer runs a different offense. How do you think Drew Locke's going to adapt to that? He doesn't really have to adapt. He had to adapt to the last offense. This is much more what he's used to. It's going to be out of the shotgun, three wide receivers, you know, much more what you're seeing in today's day and age. It's similar, uh, as Andre wrote in his film room, similar to what Sean McVay does, except for McVay does this from under center. Um, so Drew had to learn, you know, the 15 word play calls, the under center stuff, the dropbacks, all new stuff to him. This is definitely going back much more to what he's used to. And I think that was a big part of why John Elway signed off on this is this is a move for Drew Locke's ceiling and the Broncos ceiling and Drew Locke's ceiling are the exact same thing. So for him, I think it came down to, okay, Shermer's going to come in and design an entire offense around 
what Drew Locke does well. Look what has happened for these other guys who weren't even that good when he did that. You know, Sam Bradford at the time set the record for completion percentage in a season. Really impressive stuff. So I think that was what it came down to is let's do this for Drew Locke, not doing it to Drew Locke. So it sounds like it's an improvement at the coaching position. It sounds like it's a move to help the players that are already on the team. What are some potential drawbacks here? The drawback and the one that really stops me from being just gung-ho, this is amazing, is that you are starting from scratch. You know, with offensive systems or any system in the NFL, the further down the road you get, the better everyone gets at it, the more everyone understands it, and players can play instead of thinking. So you're going all the way back to square one here when you might have been at square three or four. You know, it took a long time for Drew Locke to get where Drew Locke was in that offense. Now you're going back. It should be an easier transition. It's almost like you took the AP class, and now you get to take the regular class. Uh, But you are still starting from square one. It's going to be year one in an offense. Usually offenses don't operate, you know, as well as they could in the first year. Ridiculous or not, I've heard a lot of people talk about uh, that a QB in the draft is now once again on the table because of this new offensive coordinator. What do you think about that, Ryan? Because it's not his guy. Yeah, I hate that He had a chance to draft Drew Locke with the Giants, and he went for Daniel Jones. So that's a conversation. He's not the head coach. so Yeah, so I cannot imagine why in any universe the Broncos would have hired Pat Shermer without him telling them, I like Drew Locke. I think we can be really successful with Drew Locke, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. You don't also draft a quarterback for your offensive coordinator. It's like not a thing. Well, you can. Usually, it's the co- like. Usually, it's when there's an offensive coach, yeah. they get their guy. Right. But it just wouldn't make any sense for the Broncos to really want to go back all the way to square one. Like you, you did the hardest thing in football, which is to find a quarterback who could play in the NFL. And now to go backwards would make no sense. But there is a sliver that could, you know, to attack of Iloa falls to fifteen. He's sitting there on the board and. Um, Shermer's in there, and he's like, this guy would be better in my offense. And they just get crazy, and they make the pick. Oh, man. It's a very far-fetched scenario, in my opinion. But because of the change, whenever there's change, there's uncertainty. And so you you can't say that's not a possibility. Uh, with the rest of this offensive coaching staff, do you think they're going to hold on to a few of them? Or is Pat Shermer going to come in and bring in his own guys? One, they're very late in the process here. You know, all this stuff happens really quick. Guys get fired on the Monday after the season. Guys get hired in the next week. They hire their staffs. You're already way behind that eight ball. So there's not a lot of guys out there. With that being said, um, there are going to be guys that he wants to bring in. The one guy that we know is 100% safe is Mike Munchak. He's one of the best offensive line coaches in NFL history. He's staying around. Um, Beyond that is a lot of question marks. Zach Azani and Curtis Modkins have done well at their current posts. Um, so they'll definitely be considered to stay around. T.C. McCartney is a guy who's a really, uh, really considered an up-and-comer, but he was a San Francisco guy. He came with Scangarello from San Francisco. Um, obviously, he's a Colorado guy. He's from Colorado, but he was part of that whole system. That's where he kind of learned and got his chops. So he's going to be an interesting one. Um, a couple guys that Shermer has worked with are available at quarterback coach, uh, including Mike Shula and, and Filippo, So 
there's a chance that there could be a change there. But I also know there's people within the organization that want TC to stay around. So that'll be interesting. Like you said, they're very late in the process. Why do you think that is? Was he was um, Pat not available on that Monday, that Black Monday? No, he was. Um, that's the interesting thing here, as I think that there was probably this a lot of thought went into this, mm -hmm. and a lot of deep conversation, and it, it's it's surprising that in you know by all stretches of the mind, Vic Fangio got his way here. And he just – it just must have been really convincing for John Elway. And he and it shows a lot of trust that John Elway has in Vic Fangio to go definitely more his route. The one thing here is that it's not a complete – you're not completely abandoning the West Coast offense, which is really the root of all of what John Elway loves. It, you know, it started with Bill Walsh. And if you, you walk your way down the tree f to Pat Shermer, you start at Bill Walsh. You go to Mike Holmgren, who goes to Andy Reid, who goes to Pat Shermer. So the root of the offense is the same. It's just a very, very different way of going about it. Maybe they were watching that Chiefs offense in the playoffs. Well, when they fired Skangarello, the Chiefs were losing 24-0. Maybe the they were watching the Texans offense. <laughs> by the time they had finished uh, that game, they had already they had won. They had scored 51 points or whatever it was, and they had made the hire to show yeah. The Chiefs during that game, that was crazy. I know you've talked about it on the Broncos podcast, but you unfortunately, with a lot of sadness, believe that the Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think it's a foregone conclusion. What about everyone else? Harrison? Go Titans, baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm not, I'm not hoping not it happens. I would love to be wrong. Um, where's the Super Bowl being played? Miami. Miami? Yeah, it's going to be the Chiefs. Drew? Why did that yeah. impact your thoughts? <laughs> I don't know, like, I guess Super Bowls are never played in cold weather. Except for the one that the Broncos played in. Yeah, except for that one in New York. Lovely. <laughs> Best offense of all time. Has Brutal. to play in eight degrees. Brutal. Yeah, it's going to be the Chiefs. Uh, yeah. Like Ryan said, hopefully it is the Titans. I mean, an underdog team. But there is a chance it's 49ers, too. Sure. Yeah, yeah, they could be in the game. That technically <laughs> <Yeah>. is. <laughs> that is accurate. Yeah. The 49ers, still playing football. The 49ers have... The rest, they have the recipe to beat a great quarterback, which is an incredible front four. And if you go back and watch how the Giants beat Tom Brady twice, it's with four-man rushes. The Giants have the – or, sorry, the 49ers have the capability to do that. I just – I don't think – I think the Texans had their chance. Mm -hmm. They absolutely positively blew it in the most epic way possible, and now the Chiefs are – they're a train that's not going to be stopped. This is a question – Far out of left field, but um, if the Broncos had Shanahan, do you think they would be in this position? No. Really? Yeah. It, just it, too many problems just with the organization. It itself. was just never going to work with Shanahan because he wanted a lot more power. And, and it's like it's tough to swallow these type of pills, but that's just the way it is. Like Just because Kyle Shanahan is succeeding in San Francisco does not mean that he was going to succeed here. There's a reason why they're succeeding so much because Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch were a package deal. They work together very well, and they do everything as a whole. Like we always say, there's four layers to an organization. The Broncos, for a while, have been missing two of the four layers, but it goes owner, GM, coach, quarterback. If all four of those are clicking, that's when you start winning Super Bowls. That's how they're doing that right now. That's why they're playing so well. Uh, in San Francisco, it wasn't going to be that symbiotic if if he came to Denver. Last question: What would you grade this hire? 
Oh, uh, I give it a B plus. Okay. And it would be an A plus for me if it just wasn't for the idea that man, you you got Drew Lock going. It was all working. Things were pointing in the right direction. Now you're going back, and anytime there's change, there's a lot more variables at play. Like Ryan mentioned, Andre had a great film room on the dnvr.com that you really get a chance to see what this offense under Pat Shermer is going to look like next year. Um, we'll see how all of, all of it pans out, but right now I got to tell y'all the fact that Total Bev is giving the DNVR fam 30% off your purchase of $25 or more with the max discount applying up to $75 if you use the promo code DNVR2019 online or on the Total Beverage app. Great selection, everything you could ask for, easy to use app, and they deliver. What more could you ask for? Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today and receive 30% off your purchase of $25 or more with a max discount applying up to 75. Now the Avs are coming off another tough loss on Friday, Rudo. So we're going to start with you. They managed to at least get a point. They fought their way into overtime with a great goal from Kale McCarr, but they just couldn't get it done losing 4-3 to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Rudo, if you had to point to one thing, just one, what do you think is lacking from this team right now? You got to make a save, man. Yeah. Both goaltenders just cannot make one when the Avs need one. It's it's brutal right now. It's it's similar to last season in this same time of year. It was a two-month stretch last year for the Avs goaltenders that they just were not good enough. It's been a couple of weeks of that for the Avs this season, and it needs to stop. It's as simple as that. They're brutal, man. They're absolutely brutal. <laughs> some, some of these is like you're not getting screened and you still didn't see the puck at all. It's You know a goalie is struggling when pucks are going through him. When you see him go through the five hole, the seven hole, under the arm, things like that. Those are the ones that goalies need to seal off. If you get beat high glove side with a perfect shot in the corner, you get beat. But the easy ones that come to your body, those ones need to be saved. Is there any blame on the rest of the defense? Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the goalie needs to make a save. Also, you know, leaving guys wide open on the back door for free goals, not great. Not good. Not a, not a great look. <laughs> needs to be improved as well. And, you know, the Avs, their defense is continuing to improve, but let's face it, it's a defense that relies on a 21-year-old kid to be their best defender on the ice. It's going to be inconsistent. You're, you're taking that as part of the package right now. How many uh, – what's their record in overtime? Uh, it's know? under 500 now. Is it better than last year? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's pretty easy to be better well, than last year. Well, that's a positive right I think there. They, they already have – they only need one more overtime win to match their overtime wins from last year. So. Oh, my God. Why did – some of their stra- – like, what is their strategy in overtime? Uh, <laughs> it feels like every team they play has a better strategy in overtime. Like, mm. It doesn't feel like they value the possession nearly as much as other teams. They just kind of take willy-nilly shots while other teams, you know, use the advantage to try and get an easy yeah. shot. So the the way this team was built at five on five, let alone overtime, is to score on the rush, to get aggressive chances and take the shot when they have the opportunity. And a couple of years ago, that's exactly what three on three was. It was both teams just blitz down the ice, take their chance, and, and YOLO. But... <laughs> As coaches do in every sport, they like to coach the fun out of everything. (laughs) And so they've changed three-on-three to where statistically, excuse me, statistically it's better to hold on to the puck as long as you can, 
maintain possession and control of the play, wait for the other team to make a mistake, and then take advantage of that opportunity. And honestly, that leads to a lot of overtime. Just not much is happening. And the Avs, they just don't play that way. They never have. I don't think they ever will with the core of players that they've built. And unfortunately, despite all of the skill on their roster, they still aren't built for overtime. It's in that style of simplified, very possession-based play with patience. That's just not who the Avs are. How do you think their power play has been going? Has it improved? Ryan said uh, during the game on Friday that uh, McKinnon hit that yeah. goal. That th- that's their goal the entire time to have that shot. Yeah, was that open. the first year he he made one from his office? Uh, no, the he first did that time this year. He, he's done that once or twice before this year. But yeah, no, I mean like. This season, yeah, this, okay, this right, se- right. he's done that once or twice this season. Um, and the Avs absolutely need to use that more. If Nathan yeah. McKinnon has decided he wants to be Alex Ovechkin, that's fantastic news <laughs> for the Avs power play. I don't know why that hasn't been their go-to all season. It absolutely should be. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> these long-season <laughs> the sports, man. These long-season sports are such a grind. Ugh, like it's the worst. Mentally, emotionally. And, like, they just – sometimes there's just a lull like this where, it, like, it becomes absolutely. not that fun. The Boston Bruins, great example of this, considered <laughs> one of the best contenders in the league. They were a cup finalist last year. They lost eight games in a row earlier this year. They're still way at the top of their division. It's just part of an 82-game season. Mm. Everyone likes to panic at the first sign of trouble and – Look, I get it. The Avs are not playing well. It's not the best hockey to watch in the world right now, but it comes and goes with every single team in the league. There is no team that is immune to this. You brought up the Boston Bruins, so I got to bring up the fact that yesterday on Mon- or on Tuesday, no, Monday, I don't even yeah. know what day of the week it is, uh, in a shootout against the Flyers. Oh. Yeah, Brad Marchand doesn't know what day of the, the week puck. it is. Either, yeah, oops. Well, he mm. he didn't miss the, the puck. Did he touch he it? He did technically touch oh, it. Oh, is that is because that where they he, draw the line? Yeah, if he uh, missed the puck, he could go and take the shootout again. Okay, because that's what I was saying. I was like, golf has a rule where if you accidentally hit the ball off the tee when you didn't mean to, you get to re-tee it. It doesn't count. Now, anywhere else on the course, that doesn't apply. But off the tee. And I was like, this should apply like that. If he didn't touch it. He should right. be good. He would have been good, but he just like I didn't grazed see it. Move, really. It moved it about made, yeah. two inches. Yeah, it was still in the face-off dot, but it did move. Uh, so you should have to leave the like dot. That. No, <laughs> yeah. Anything no. that Brad Marchand messes up is <laughs> it's is a good, good for the league. Trust me on that one. Imagine losing like that. Like as a fan, I don't even know. The closest <laughs> thing I could think of is I've seen a number, uh, not a lot, but more than three baseball games. That have ended on a balk when there's a guy on mm. third base and a pitcher just starts to throw and Ugh. can or does a whatever thing and, and the guy just gets to literally walk from third base to home and you just have or to like stand a there penalty and watch kick it. if you trip over the ball or something oh yeah this would in be soccer, like in my yeah. opinion if a golfer had a putt to win a tournament and just like accidentally hit hit the ball with their club and it just rolled and wasn't even close like yeah just I, instead of a balk I imagine, like, you know when a pitcher just completely loses grip of the ball and throws it right into the dirt two feet in front of him? Sure. <laughs> right, right. I would say it's closer to that, and it gets away from him, and the runner just the jogs runner into home. Yeah. Yeah. Or, like, they hit, like, a 
huge single, but just forget to step on the base and get tagged out. Right. Or like your catcher forgets where home plate is and it's the 18th inning. <laughs> oh, don't, st- no, don't, don't start. No, don't start. It could be something true. like that. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm just spitballing here. <laughs> I hate the shootout just to, to put all my cards on the table here. To me, it'd be more like you get into extra innings and instead of continuing to play baseball, you decide to solve the game with a home run derby. Home run derby. I'm so in. Right. <laughs> let's, let's, say, let's, let's do, do it, that. All the let's do it. Got, you just sold a bunch of people on baseball. I know. The shootout's the exact same way. So, yeah. Like A lot of people love it, but it's not hockey to me. Right. Would you? What about this idea? Five oh, minutes gosh. of three on three. If they don't score, five minutes of two on two. If they don't score... Five minutes of one-on-one. I'm way more about that than a shootout. I'd be way more for that. Well, uh, what would three be? On three isn't really hockey either. It's closer than a shootout. The, the the thing about three-on-three is it's continuous play, right? What I don't like about the shootout is this player goes, stop, reset, bring the other goalie in. The other team goes, stop, reset. You're getting into, like, baseball. Yeah, where stopping it, and resetting is our thing. Right. <laughs> Back off. <laughs> the thing that makes hockey special as a game is it's the only sport of the big four that – you play on the fly. Your ch- players just get on and off the ice, and you so just great. go. Literally, when I took my family to the game and we were sitting up high, and the first thing they were just like, they're always getting on and off of the ice. And K- Kitty was like watching guys. She was like, that guy was on the ice for 30 seconds. I was yep. like, I know. That's like, a skill in itself, hopping right? the <laughs> little bench or having them open the door for you. Because, you know, they could take a while and then oh, you can yeah. get called offside. Yeah. You know, no. That happens. Just got to dive into the bench. Commit <laughs> yeah. to the play. <laughs> commit, commit, baby. We got to talk about Kale McCarr not making the All-Stars this year. How do you feel about that, Rudo? I'm in the minority on this one really? as well. I think it's fine. Kale McCarr, we've talked about. As, look, Boo. from a fan perspective, Kale McCarr would be amazing in the All-Star game. He's going to make it. He's going to be a five-time All-Star <laughs> or more in his 12 career. Twelve-time All-Star. <laughs> Don't worry about it. He'll get plenty of chances this year. He's a rookie. We've talked about the college wall a lot. He's gonna slow down he's already started slowing down go look at his production through the since he's returned from injury it's nowhere near what it was at the start of the year a week off for him is great he can get rested up he can get his body fully healthy because let's face it in the nhl no one is playing at 100 percent without a week off it's just the way it is and he's just gonna be much more effective for the avs by not having to travel to st louis for this all-star game he doesn't have to exhaust himself playing a three-on-three tournament at the NHL level, even if they're not hitting each other that much, that takes your legs out, man. It really does. So I think it's the best for the abs at very least. And it's just all the stuff you have to do around all-star weekend too. Right. Like it, the interviews. Media. The no exactly. It's yep. exhausting. Exactly. I love, I love that take. Thank My favorite yeah, take. It's a great take. <laughs> that's a super pragmatic, very awesome take, but that's not the answer to the question, <laughs> Rudo. The question is, does he deserve to be an all-star? Absolutely. Thank he, you. 1,000%. Right. The only reason all he's right. not is because he's in the same division as the host team. How yeah. many that's all I'm players they have four, are all-stars? Four player, the St. Louis Blues have four players on the Central Division. I don't team. actually know the exact number. I think it's about four. 45 and like and McCarr is an easily in the top 15 most entertaining players oh in yeah the league. It, he should 100 percent been an all-star based on performance that's no denying that. but I mean he made a comment a few weeks ago saying he felt like he hadn't been playing well or hasn't done enough that's he says that he's just so modest all the time <laughs> he scores the world's most amazing goal and is just like hey, like it's my teammates did everything just gotta get the pucks on that 
Oh, well, the Avs take on the Dallas Stars tonight. They've got some good practice in this weekend, which they hadn't had a chance to do in a while, which really is crazy to me. I know basketball is the same, but these guys play so many games, and they rarely get multiple days off to go through a full practice. Yeah, it, it's very short. The Avs have even been taking a number of practices off throughout the season just because they have back-to-backs or they're dealing with injuries or, or whatever, so... It is nice. I do think the Avs, particularly the defensive systems that we've talked about, do need a little bit of cleaning up. Hopefully the practice will help that. Dallas is a team they've yet to beat this season, and this is a big game for them. They have four home games left before that All-Star break. 500 is the minimum there. They need to go two and two at worst. Really, they should be going three three and one through this stretch. so. So you do think they'll win tonight? I don't know if I think they'll win. Okay. I think they nah, – I don't want to say need, but they should? pretty close to need to win. They should win. It would be better if they won. Yes. It, it, it would <laughs> a be lot better. Really, a win would be better. We would prefer if, if they won. I would say as close to need without saying need as you can get. How do you feel about that, Harrison, in the NBA with the practices? Practice yeah. It's funny because – Everybody practices a lot at the beginning of the season, and then gradually, by the time January, February rolls rolls around, not as many teams are practicing. Um, But more often than not, it's the good teams that stop practicing first, and the bad teams are the ones who like keep practicing throughout the entire season. Because they're trying to work through something, right? The teams that are just clicking on all cylinders are like, let's just keep it rolling. Like if you lose a game Friday night. And you're like a mediocre team. Your coach is like, all right, we got to get back in the gym Saturday. We got to iron this out. If you win a game Friday night, oh, take the next day off. Enjoy Vegas. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if you're 10 games below 500, too, so what if you lose another game, right? I mean, yeah. if you're already out of the playoff picture, like in hockey, a team like New Jersey, their games don't really matter anymore. They, they need to figure out what they can do as a team to improve going forward. They're not worried about their playoff position. Which is just so funny compared to baseball and football. Football mainly, if a guy's going to Vegas midweek, that's probably an issue. (laughs) What would you be surprised? (laughs) (laughs) Secretly going to Vegas. They have Tuesdays off. A lot of stuff goes down on Monday nights. Oh, God. Actually, this year, Fangio made, made life a lot harder on them in that situation. NBA players just chill, though, a lot of times. Like, they have an off day, they will literally just sit in their apartment and do nothing. Play I mean, video games the entire day. Th- a lot of guys are that yeah. way. It all just depends on yeah. the player. What's going on that weekend and ba- stuff. Baseball never practices. Well, practice isn't or, even a thing in well, baseball. They or they're practicing practice every, every day, morning, depending yeah. on how you look at it. Yeah, there's but, a... Yeah, not, not a, in like a structured practice. It's more of like a warm-up. Right. Like yeah. shoot-arounds, morning skate. Yeah. But it lasts like eight hours. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. It's very, very weird. But there are also like this phrase you guys keep saying. What is this? Da oof? Da oof? De, de, oh, oh, de, oh, what is this thing that happens in your sports? What is this? Yeah. No, none, none of that in baseball. What's going on on Mondays and Thursdays then? I mean, okay. Those are, those are, <laughs> well, usually those are travel days. Usually that's the day you're flying to the other city. You're getting in your, you know, a hotel you're getting whatever whatever's going on so kind of off days but usually travel days as well here's uh, a take i have about baseball oh good i think that batting practice is a bad idea because they throw the ball so much softer that it doesn't actually do anything for you so that's a that's a bad take. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but why it, wouldn't you just take batting practice at at ninety to to ninety five? Right. Well, and most guys 
do that too down in the cages instead okay. of like out on the field or whatever. Yeah, on field BP is weird and interesting and maybe as much for the fans. My take isn't as bad Kinda as like you a spectacle it's, type thing. Right. B- batting practice in general is very important. But uh, not in that sense. I'm talking about the on field batting practice where they're just there, peppering though. like 75 mile per hour fastballs into on the all left field mechanics stand. at that point. Though. Yeah. It's, it's also like guys still hit the ball off of a tee. And like that might seem like a silly thing to do, but it's actually a really important practice for your mechanics. I and can see so, that. It, yeah, it's it's less about are you practicing live action hitting a base because there's a difference between BP and live BP, which is another thing that you you can do. And live BP is pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, when Bud Black is just out there because they've got a lefty that day and he's just slinging seventy mile an hour fastballs right over the middle, and Nolan's just hitting four in a row. And yeah, I'm like, <laughs> third what are we doing? And then the thing is, <laughs> so you go from for? that, and then an hour later, you stand in for your first at bat, and the dude's throwing ninety seven, yeah. and mm. you you're not used to that anymore. But this is the difference between baseball and all the other sports, like we were talking about. They both never have a practice and are always practicing. So between BP and the game. They'll eat dinner. They'll take a round of BP in the cages. Then they'll go eat dinner. Then they'll go take another round of BP in the cages. And, you know, so they're 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 getting up to the velocity. Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, I think it's a misconception of getting used to the speed as well because in a single at bat, you'll see a 95-mile-an-hour fastball and then an 80-mile-an-hour changeup and then a, a slider and a curveball as well. So it's a little bit of everything. It's not enough consistency. I'm sure they do this. If I was a, a – baseball player i would want to go out and be like okay throw me 20 straight fastballs on the outside corner throw me 20 straight curveballs 20 straight sliders so like when i when i guess the right pitch i'm like ready for it. you know mm-hmm. what i mean sure i mean you, you need a really good pitcher <laughs> well, <laughs> so I you get a machine to even machines have a hard like pedro time. martinez yeah man, right he's fine you just get pedro out there for MVP. i imagine that's as much and i'm sure drew knows better than i do but Doing something like that is as much about pitch recognition coming out of the hand as it is anything else. Correct. Yeah, it's a lot about training your eyes just to see the ball coming out of the hand, uh, get, getting yourself ready. And they'll all say, too, there's just no – even live BP, there, there, there's no substitution for getting in there for when a guy's really coming at you with 98 and he's trying to jam you up and inside. Like, there, there's – no getting ready for that until it happens. Maybe that's what Riley Pint can do and help the Rockies organization. Just come up for BP, <laughs> BP. throw a hundred, and let them get used to the speed. Now this this theory I love. What about with shoot around for basketball? I feel like when I played, at least I w- I was pretty bad shooter, so I wouldn't really make any. But what if you what if you do kind of feel like you're in a like a slump, and then you start in the game, and you're like, oh my god, I didn't make a single basket during. Um, warm up, like the shoot around, like can you get in your head? I don't know. I was a terrible basketball player. NBA players never miss. Oh, yeah. I've seen them miss multiple <laughs> times. <laughs> Unless you're MPJ. <laughs> when they're doing shoot around, those guys shoot like ninety four percent. Even like Mason Plumley goes seven to ten from three. <laughs> it's really? ridiculous. Yeah, he's okay, like I'm an incredible, better player. shooter than any of us in this room by far. Um, yeah, that'd and be a good video feature. Mason yeah. Plumley versus Harrison Wind in a three point <laughs> shootout. What? That's what people don't realize. Oh yeah, yeah. When, yeah, when he like is the media skills challenge. That's winner. why the one and only yeah. media skills challenge that's ever happened. <laughs> but yeah, when people like go and shoot like free throws or whatever, like at their local uh, hoop, and they're just like, "Oh, this isn't so bad." It's like, no, 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 R- sprint up and down the court 
five or ten times and then shoot your free throws because that's yeah. what it's so actually. different. It's, it's a completely different. The world. thing I've always thought about in the NBA is like, okay, you warm up for like thirty minutes pregame and then you go sit on the bench for another. 30 minutes if you only come in for like a 10 15 minute spurt like if you're Malik Beasley you warm up like two hours before the game then you don't even play for the first quarter you're sitting on the bench like the NBA needs a little bullpen type thing where like a little basket underground like Like the Nuggets have a practice court but they need like a little basket that's closer to the bench where you can just shoot like Like in the tunnel yeah, it's just like a little Papa shot. It's right. in the tunnel, <laughs> right? Like while the first quarter's going, on. like the one they have at sports column. <laughs> yes, it's a big thing in hockey as well because fourth line players in hockey play eight nine minutes a game. So out of every period, they're playing two three minutes. They get three shifts a period, yeah. so they're spending eighteen minutes at a time on the bench, and it's a skill in itself to be able to come off the bench hot in any sport and keep yourself engaged in the game. Do guys in hockey go out on the ice after the game if they don't play a lot and like take shots? Um, generally not. There are a few exceptions to that, but a lot of the time you'll see at the TV timeouts, those guys will jump on the ice and oh, do a couple of spins. Oh, and that's interesting. Yeah. Cause like nuggets players who don't play sometimes like Malik Beasley, for example, He'll warm up for two hours before the game, not play, and then shoot a thousand shots in the on the practice court after the game. Wow. I love that. That's awesome. So if NBA players like never miss when they're uncovered just warming up, what about hockey players? Like um some fourth line guy, can he just like hit top corner oh, yeah. whenever he wants? If you put a beer league goalie in there, he'd beat him with ninety percent of the shots for sure. It wouldn't even be a competition. Mm-hmm. Doesn't Nutrushkin uh, work out after games? Yeah. He, I, I've seen videos of this Russian man lifting ice. a he, lot of weights. He immediately goes to the locker room, takes <laughs> off all of his gear, immediately goes to the weight room and starts benching like 225. Just, just <laughs> <laughs> that is the most scary Make Russian sure to get it on Instagram. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's, Instagram he's, he's where it shirtless with like a gold chain on. I can see it. It's he perfect. has a gold chain, actually. Yeah, yeah, he, oh yeah. he wears it on the ice. Yeah, we even. see yeah. it. Yeah. Charlie Blackman's post-game workouts are legendary, too. Like, we can't get into, like, his 40-game post-game workout, and he swears that's what keeps him healthy. But he's doing all kinds of cardio and lifting weights, and, like, he works out heavier right after every game than he does before. Hmm. Jokic. Takes all the BP. Jokic started lifting weights after games this season. (laughs) Him, Beasley, and Wancho, the, the weightlifting crew. I love it. By the way, I love your idea of like a hoop off the side. We need a camera on at all times too, because there's great drama. I don't know if you guys w- have ever seen like in soccer when guys are getting ready to substitute in, they're yeah. like stretching over there. They start kicking the into a net or whatever. Me it's like, <laughs> oh, he's getting ready to come into the game, Nigel. Yeah, you're just like excited. <laughs> Imagine like, yeah, you're like whatever players getting ready to come out. Like Jokic, is he, is he going to check back in? Oh, is he down right. in the tunnel? Shoot. Like, the best he's thing. He's shooting around. He's yeah. coming back. The best thing in NBA team has to stay ready is like an exercise bike <laughs> right oh, like that's, that's true that's well, to the terrible side. drama look at him on the look at him go and absolutely nowhere with soccer you see the guy yeah. getting super ready and he's coming in as like a defensive back and you're like that guy might touch the ball once right. in the next 10 minutes <laughs> right. like. I, i've always thought about this for football too i mean guys just literally stand in the same spot on the sideline for 20 minutes while yep. they're off the field right. that cannot be a good way to stay warm and like prevent injuries when you come back in like, like you said they do have the be- the bike so yeah. then well, they'll go on the bike you'll, you'll see the guys that it. stand around for 20 minutes and then you see the running back come off and go right to the oxygen tank <laughs> 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 it's such a stark contrast in football when uh 
I'm pretty sure I saw a video of this. Maybe you're going to say that I'm lying, but um, you're lying. when Mark Sanchez <laughs> played on the Eagles, I'm pretty sure there was video. He was the third string quarterback. He was eating a hot dog on the sideline. Oh, just chilling. Yeah. That <laughs> happened. Yeah. Okay. I wasn't positive, but yeah. One time Spencer Dinwiddie, remember there was like controversy over him eating on the bench. You're not supposed to in the NBA. Yeah. There was. And so he, like, snuck something and, like, ate a Snickers on well, the sideline or something. Yeah, what about an that. injured Zion falling asleep in the crowd the other night? <laughs> oh yeah. My God. Well, too many beignets pregame. <laughs> <laughs> He's been on the beignet diet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> last thing I want to say with the Avs, this happened last week, but we haven't had a chance to talk about it on this podcast. Jonas Donskoy was, had a high hit on him from uh, one of the Rangers players, and – Nazem Kadri almost killed that guy. Destroyed <laughs> him. That was incredible pronunciation, Allie. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm really That's getting incredible. used to the hockey names. <laughs> they're they're a trip. But, I used uh, to have to call AJ before every video I did and be like, "How? Like, dude, uh, uh, yeah." yeah. Valnichushkin, that was a hard one. I've gotten Vladislav Kamenev. Yep. Yes, I've uh, I've called you too. This is some hard hockey names. <laughs> The entire world didn't know how to pronounce Francois until this season. So there you <laughs> go. Drew Locke's a bit easier. <laughs> <laughs> the ESPN uh, mispronounced Kyle McCarr's name. Yeah. They called him Kyle McCarr. That's not a thing. Yeah. That's They'd, disrespect. It, come on. The national media is an adventure. Um, <laughs> last playoffs, Ian Cole got called Eric Cole by multiple people. Oh, my God. I think I know a guy named oh, Eric Oh, what Cole. was the one Nolan got called in San Diego? I totally for, like Norman Arnott. Like like literally like they messed up Nolan Arnott's. I uh, people who are Norman? listening are going to be mad at me. That I couldn't remember what they called him now. It was really weird. <laughs> I mean, NBA announcers always have a problem with European names. Sure. Like, there's a <laughs> there's a Russian <laughs> NBA system <laughs> whose name is Igor Shvirev. Oh my god, how is that Shvirev? even spelled? Shvirev? The spelling is what's the most confusing because it doesn't even look like the way it would sound. I can't even remember how yeah, it's spelled, exactly. but it's like S. H V R Y E V, I think. Even Wa, like if you're not from, if you didn't watch hockey during that time, or yeah, well, that Roy, that's, bro. A, that's <laughs> a very specific French Canadian well, like one. Radam Verbata. Yeah, it's like how does a last when name start with V R B? The Czech names just are <laughs> out of control. <laughs> Anyways, back to the fight. Uh, I only have two things to say about that. Right fist, Department of Left Fist Player Safety. Uh, yeah. I like it. Uh, okay, uh, I got it. If, uh, they, if they're not uh, going to enforce the rules, as Jared Bednar said, yeah, then Kadri's going to have to do it for him. But 100%. do we think they didn't enforce the rule after because yes, that player absolutely. was out for the rest of the game <laughs> not, and the next game? Kadri personally suspended him for the rest of the game. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they... They had that conference call with Lindgren, and we're like, oh, Kadri gave you a concussion. Okay, that, that's a good suspension. Don't, yeah, don't worry about it. How, I mean, how do you guys feel about the fights? There's a lot of talk in the Denver media mm. about hockey fights, and I definitely get frustrated on certain ones. I talked about this on our weekly breakdown because it's like, really, you're going to put your guys through a penalty kill. Maybe that wasn't the smartest move, but then this one with Kadri, that was like, Oh my yes. There's there was a great example that happened the other day of the difference. Jonas Donskoy takes a high hit. It was clearly a penalty despite it not getting called. Clearly dirty. The player has to stand up for his teammate, and the way he goes about standing up for his teammate is going over to the guy saying, We're fighting, squaring up with him and giving him a chance to fight back, even though Kadri was just a significantly better fighter. Um 
That was like the most aggressive fight I've ever. Like <laughs> he got like twelve punches in in like eight seconds. Yeah, it it was just fists to the face over and over because Ryan Lindgren can't fight, <laughs> but Matthew Kachuk and Zach Cassian, Flames and Oilers uh, yesterday oh or the God. day before. Uh, that is what a bad fight looks like. First of all, Kachuk definitely made a hit he shouldn't have. The same way that Lindgren made a hit on Donskoy. Cassian does not square up with him. He just throws his gloves off, jumps him from behind, starts wailing on his head. Even after Kachuk goes down, he continues punching him in the face. I got some Bertuzzi vibes from that. Not quite that bad. Not not nearly that bad, but the vibes were similar. Hockey doesn't have very many unwritten rules. One of them is if you're in a fight with a guy and you go to the ground, you stop punching. Right. Cassian did not do that. He ended up getting suspended two games, which is low, in my opinion. That was also after he threw some, like, reckless hit on him, too. Oh, well, Kachuk threw the hit. Uh, So I would have been okay with a fight there, but, again, it's the difference of how it happened. Kadri says, we're fighting, square up. Cassian doesn't give any warning and just jumps the guy. Yeah, for sure. So Kadri did everything right by the book, and there's – if there's something wrong with that fight in hockey, then there just shouldn't be fighting in hockey. I think I'm much more a proponent of uh, fighting in hockey than I am at th- uh, throwing baseballs at people. Definitely. All right. So <laughs> I, I'd rather them just square up and fight it out. I agree. Well, than just randomly being. So hit. here's well, the not, thing. It's not random. If in baseball, the, the pitcher said, I'm going to throw this at you. I'd be okay with it because that's what a fight is in hockey. Um, Both players well, say, "Okay, we're gonna fight." Let's. They fight. Know. I think the batter they usually might, know. Yeah, typically. Uh, they yeah they they typically know, but I agree with you in in principle. Like I I hate that somehow Major League Baseball has institutionalized this notion that they can dole out punishment by throwing the baseball at people, but. <laughs> I don't know. The I, I'm not necessarily convinced that the tradition of I'm going to punch this guy's face in <laughs> is inherently better than that. I think it's just um, safer. Probably. It is safer. That's, That's the yeah. thing. Is it, it, it's definitely safer. It looks a lot worse. And there's also like at least two guys standing there in case anything gets out of hand. Well, right. And it's it's. A, Look, there's a there's a hockey code, much like there is in, in baseball a lot of the time. If you're going to throw at a guy, do not throw at his head. Right. Right. And and actually, yeah, there's, there is there is an area where I'm like, look, if you hit a guy in the butt, it, like, I'm not totally against that. And probably because it's been institutionally are- ingrained into my... Well, yeah, they used They're to be a lot more. They're not that good at aiming. They used to be, yeah, yeah. In the 80s and 90s and before when everyone was a control guy, now that everyone's a 24-year-old throwing 99 miles an hour and they don't know exactly. And that's caused a lot of problems. I know it's happened with the Rockies. I, with Nolan. I well, I mean, the other way. I am certain that the Rockies have said, we're going to hit this guy. We're going to do it on purpose. We're going to do it clean. But they gave that job to a 24-year-old because that's all they've got. And the ball came up a little bit. And a particular player on a particular team in Chicago was very upset about that. And I understand why because he got hit in the damn head. And, like, that's really, really, really scary. And so, yeah, there's a like, don't do that. But there is also no other avenue. It's like what you're talking about. Like, hockey is sort of institutionalized this thing you can do. You, you can fight, and there are certain built in 
punishments that come along with that where baseball is like if you even take a swing at a guy we're suspending you for five games that's what yeah. you're talking about pretty, pretty much every way. other yeah. sport yeah. carmelo anthony slapped a guy in the face one time got suspended 15 games close i said slap. it close fist slap slapped him slapped him in the face close. it was really yeah. soft but again compared <laughs> to what nazim Kadri did like if we're, if we're literally just comparing punches to the face which would you rather take give me the mellow rather than the Kadri <laughs> well, 100 yeah. times out of 100 for some reason i think there's something um where it's like they're on skates so they can't punch quite as hard type of thing right like you're working against um, your own momentum yeah, that, <laughs> faces. Like, uh, you need to look up bxa uh, no, I'm not saying it's a fact. I'm just saying it's like a feeling. Like, imagine two guys on an NBA hardwood just like squaring up and fighting each other. Like, yeah. or like no one got a, a little different start than at Luis for someone that <laughs> absolutely doesn't know what they're doing. That's 100 percent true. But for some of these guys who will Superman punch you off their skates, I'm just talking about a, <laughs> Ooh, like, a ne- like for the viewer at home, it just doesn't seem Superman as dangerous. Punch. Well, I think that's mostly um, what it's about is the narrative for the viewers at home. And that's also like them going to the ground, right? When they go to the ground, it's over. That's much more likely on skates than it is on your right. feet. Right. You'll s- most fights, especially between guys that don't fight regularly is they lock up, they get one or two punches and one of them falls over and that's right. the end of the fight. So mm-hmm. that's what I mean is like it's not like it's easier to fall over. It's a little bit it's like it's not as dangerous as just like if um, Nicole Jokic just squared up with like DeMar DeRozan on the court. Like, there's a good chance of someone getting knocked out. I mean, ice is pretty hard, <laughs> but it's easier to slip. <laughs> there is no way you can convince me it's e- it's like the same punching on ice than on hardwood. Yeah. There's no way. Boy, it's, it is harder to punch on to, ice. You guys need to go watch ice. some '80s and '90s highlights of just the brawls that happen. In right, I'm not saying they're like crazy, but they could have m- more effective punches if they were punching on flat ground. Uh, that's yeah, sure. That's the point. Yes. Sure. All right. <laughs> yes. Let's move on from this and start talking some Nuggets. The Nuggets are coming off a great win against the LA Clippers after a very bad, bad loss to the Cavs the night before. Jokic had 20 points and 15 rebounds during that game, and I'm going to read a tweet that you posted, Harrison, which was such a good tweet. Jokic is shooting 42% from three since December 1st, and just the threat of his jumper has propelled the Nuggets to the NBA's second-best offense since then. It's changed how defenses are guarding Denver. That's huge. No, totally. So... Up until December 1st, Jokic was Denver's worst three-point shooter. Nuggets offense sucked. That was back when their defense was, like, top three in the league. Since December 1st, you know, it's kind of flipped. Jokic has been on fire from three. Teams earlier in the season uh, were not guarding him from three. They were just backing off. What team was it that – was it the Hawks who let him shoot four in a row just wide open? Teams were just not guarding him from three. I feel like that gets in your head too. It was the right strategy. It got in Jokic's head, um, and he just kept firing and kept missing, and that's a reason why the Nuggets' offense was so bad earlier this year. Uh, But it's flipped since December 1st. He's shooting 42% from three. Like He's been the Nuggets' best shooter since that date. And the Nuggets have the second-best offense since December 1st as well. Now, their defense has fallen to, uh, like, one of the worst in the league. So it, it has flipped on its head completely. Um, but Jokic having a three-point shot like he does right now, I mean, it's over for the defense at that point. They already had a tough time stopping him when he couldn't shoot from three. Um, but the fact that he can he, – he's shooting how he is from three right now 
Um, it's opened up everything for Denver. Why do you think the defense has flipped? Is it because or has struggled? Is it because Paul Millsap and Garrett Harris have been out multiple games, or just other people aren't stepping up in that absence? You always felt like it was going to fall off a little bit. I don't mm-hmm. think anybody felt like Denver is going to be a top three defense in the league for the entire season. Um, but the main reason, yeah, I, I think it's because Paul Millsap has been out a little bit, and he's been really banged up for like the last month, month and a half, and. Gary Harris has been in the lineup for, for most of that time, and Gary Harris is like, has had a great defensive year. You know, He's probably the guy who gets like the most notoriety for stopping Luka Doncic, stopping Devin Booker and whatnot. But uh, Millsap is really the more important team defense guy. He's the guy who holds the defense together on the back end. And um, him not being 100% over the last month, month and a half, ha- has killed Denver defensively. With those two out, on the other side of things, you do get to see more MPJ. Yeah. Certainly that seems to be helping the offense. Is that a net positive ultimately, or is the defense more important in the long run? Uh, with this team and, um, you know, people probably on the Nuggets coaching staff disagree with this, but I've always felt like this team, once they're clicking on offense, that leads to them buying it on defense. A lot of people in the NBA think it's the other way around, that your defense leads to your offense. I think with this team, their offense leads to their defense. When they're in rhythm on offense, they commit defensively. I think that so much of sports, and especially the NBA, are there's ego involved, right? And when you're shooting poorly and not scoring on one side, it hurts. Like You're not as confident. You don't feel as good. When you're cashing everything it fires you up it makes you want to play harder yeah especially with these guys you just look at the personnel like (laughs) Jokic come on Uh, I think his offense leads to his defense Uh, but the MPJ thing yeah Rudo um, it's been big I think it's been a really positive development here as of late I mean he's I think he's a special talent like if you don't believe in his talent by now like I can't help you it's just so obvious how skilled and how talented he is He's got no idea what he's doing out in the court. He just walks into 12, 15 points if he's out there for 20 minutes. It's crazy. Has anyone ever been in a pickup game with somebody who is, like, semi-legit, like, uh, against a bunch of, like, normal people? Like, you've just been out there, and, like, one dude who is, like, maybe cut from a college team, but, but, like, was close, and he just comes out and starts playing with everybody. That's what the MPJ looks like to me sometimes. There's just a guy who's just, like, why – or like it doesn't really look like there's any rhyme or reason to what you're doing. You're just bigger, stronger, faster than everybody else. Yeah, and you can kind of do what you want. And and the entire game when he's on the court has to shift to for him. That's what it feels like. The whole thing starts revolving around him. The team I, he's and, on just feeds him the ball, and the other team has to double him. Basically, right. <laughs> everyone just like looks at that guy and goes, "Okay, now we got to deal with this." We saw it in the last game. Um. They called a couple plays for him uh, to get the ball kind of in the mid-post area on one of the wings. Uh, they called a play that got Lou Williams, a smaller defender, switched on to him, and MPJ like went to work two times in a row. That's when he had that uh, 7-0 run, yeah. and he scored seven straight for Denver. Um, but It's yeah. crazy to me how easy it is for him around the rim. Yeah. Like, once he gets close, he's so long, he's so bouncy, that it's just like – let me just drop this in like mm-hmm. from anywhere like around the rim. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that's why points are so easy for him. He doesn't have to like – it's not like he's doing like Gary Harris-esque finishes at the rim. He's just dropping it in from right – Yeah. He's and, 6'10". He's right at the rim. And yep. everybody guarding him is 6'7", 6'8". Yep. So he's got two inches right there. He's long. 
Um, I think he's getting a little athleticism back slowly but surely. Like, that was the biggest thing I noticed watching him. Like, the Nuggets will play these three-on-three games after practice with MPJ and a couple other guys who weren't playing, like, against their player development coaches. Mm -hmm. And you can just tell he lost so much athleticism, so much burst with the back surgeries. Mm -hmm. That was expected. I think he's getting that back slowly but surely. And um, It's also a confidence thing, too, right? Like, you have to be confidence – confident in your body that you can go as hard as you can yeah. he is just he honestly is way further along right now than i thought he would be after sitting for like more than a year just not even playing a live game to come back in and find the offensive rhythm that he's found like if you go back and watch mpj's high school mixtapes <laughs> those are actually like the same types of shots that he's taken now yeah it the looks step very backs similar. the pull-up threes um, the stuff around the rim, that, that's that's been his game forever. How long the fact that he and Trey Young played together is <laughs> sure. absurd. How absurd. about that in, inside-outside combo? <laughs> uh, I, I was just going to say, how long till we see a Nike-sponsored drop foot brace? Well, it'll be uh, Puma. Um, <laughs> oh, is he Puma? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, he's Puma. I don't on, keep Rudo. up with the sponsorships in the NBA. <laughs> <It's very> Sorry. <laughs> you know. Yeah, that'd be tough because like, the, the brace is – it doesn't show a lot. Seems like so. it'd be a pretty specific. <laughs> it wouldn't be very sellable. Yeah. No, I've been I've been really impressed with him, how he's looked on the court, but also just how he's handled himself off the court. You know, for a guy who's never had to fight for playing time in his life, um, I've been impressed with just how level-headed he's stayed. Real how quick. How he hasn't gotten too frustrated. Is Jamal just in a shooting slump? Is that what's going on here? Like, is he going to break out of it eventually? The fact uh, Adam posted this in the Slack the other day. The fact that Emmanuel Mudiay is shooting better than him from three, like, yeah, is painful. It yeah. is painful. I think Jamal's had a rough year, to be honest. Just generally speaking, we talked about this on the pod, me and Brendan, the other day. But I, I think largely, like, his season has been a little bit of a disappointment. Uh, people had really high expectations for him, and he hasn't taken that leap that people thought he would. It's gone the other way. Yeah, I, I think he's made some uh, – there's been some growth in his game, like with his decision-making. His defense was better at the beginning of the year, but that's fallen off too. Um, but the, the three-point shooting is what you notice right now. Uh, he's way down at like 33% this year. Uh, he did have a couple months couple months in February and March last year where he was around 40. So he's always been streaky. So he can go on a hot streak for a month. He did that last year over the second half of the season um but you don't have a lot of confidence with him hoisting from three right now and, and that's crazy because in years past you had it, like it's felt like it should go in like those transition open. threes that he would take when they just have the momentum and yep. he's just looking to stomp on you right you're thinking like the one you go back to is in that spurs game when he just like pulls up crazily and just yeah. cashes it but it just it, it almost feels like Jokic in a sense of like if the threes start falling for him, everything will change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I think there's definitely something to that. Like a reason the Nuggets are one of the worst three-point shooting teams in the league, they're bottom 10. Uh, it was Jokic at the beginning of the year struggling when you know, Murray was all right. Harris was, you know, he's never really shot the ball well from three this season. Barton was really good. Uh, but now... Murray Harris and Barton are, are all really slumping from three, and Jokic is the only one that's hitting. Which leads me to trade for J.J. Redick. Ryan's all on this J.J. Redick train. I think Redick would be a good addition. I don't know if you can get him for Beasley and Wancho. What else you got to include? 
uh, uh, a future first round pick and they don't have one this summer. How do you feel now about it? I mean, <laughs> I'd do it because I love JJ Redick, but I can understand why they wouldn't. Why do you love JJ Redick? <laughs> he's so dope. He's so cash. He's like so annoying, though. <laughs> so cash. He's so annoying. Like, of any player that's in the NBA right now, if he's open, I'm more convinced it's going. Yeah, well, well he is like 44 percent. He's like year. if Duke was a player incarnate. It's JJ <laughs> Redick. <laughs> yeah. Also, he he might be wanting a trade because he's never missed the playoffs in his entire career. Yeah, that's another thing. Pelicans have been playing better. I'm curious to see because the Pelicans kind of set the trade market with Holiday, with Redick, with Favors. They're kind of flirting with wanting to contend for the eight seed, so I think they're waiting to see. You know, once we get Zion back, how's that look? Can we maybe get the eight seed? Hmm. Then they'll probably decide. That's yeah. interesting. Um, let's move on to the games this weekend for the Nuggets. Uh, they take on. They have two more back-to-back sets, which is just ridiculous that they'll have three back-to-back sets with like two-day break. And then they have one at the end of the month. Their toughest back-to-back of the year versus Utah at Milwaukee. Oh, God. So the fir- the ones this weekend on Wednesday and Thursday, you got the Hornets and the Warriors. And then Sunday and Monday, you've got the Pacers and the Timberwolves. Yeah. What are you expecting from those games? What number would you say is the best for their wins? Obviously, not all. They should win all the games. But realistically. Yeah, three and one is very realistic. Three and one. Um, the Hornets could give them trouble, though, uh, tomorrow because the Nuggets have really struggled to guard point guards this season. Ish Smith, cough, cough, like literally every point guard they've gone up against over the last couple months. And the Hornets have two point guards that they start in their backcourt, Terry Rozier and Devontae Graham, who are filling it up right now. So uh, that one could give them trouble. But, I mean, those are all winnable games. If I could take every game the Nuggets have the rest of this year against teams under 500 and just say the Nuggets go 500 in those games and then they only have to play the games against good teams, I would take it. Well, that's way worse than they've <laughs> gone against below 500 teams so far, though. I just can't. The losses are so boost. loud, it's but they've uh, lost fewer than you actually think. I just think. can't so keep watching it. It's so hard to watch. Like, Nuggets Twitter after that Cavs loss was a, a disaster. They've had some bad losses this year, <laughs> really bad losses. The Cavs, the Hawks, the they don't Kings. Have the, they, last year they the had Pelicans. the switch, and I think they lost the switch. Yeah, they took care of business last year. Right, like – even at the, remember at the end of the year they were like weirdly barely beating all these bad teams, but even in the last game of the season. But it, I don't know. It just they had the switch, and I feel like they think they have it, and they don't have it anymore. Yeah, they don't have it right now. That's for sure. Yeah. Is everyone done with their Breck Bruce? Because SC Harrison has one I open. Don't, yeah, I haven't even cracked it yet. True. Has everyone else done with theirs? Finished. It's been a long time. We need to reload. Guy left. Yeah. I was <laughs> Well, after all the Breck Brews you're drinking, you got to obviously take care of your teeth. And guess what? We can help. Our friends at Green Mountain Dental Group are giving away a free Sonicare toothbrush when you schedule a cleaning, x-ray, and exam. That's right. You simply just have to take care of your teeth for Green Mountain Dental Group to hand over a free Sonicare toothbrush. Check them out today online or call them at 303-988-0711 to schedule your appointment today. All right. This podcast has already gone pretty long, but we will talk Quick baseball um, with Drew. Drew, you're giving mm. a face. You don't want to talk baseball? I mean, we can if you really want to. Well, things are happening. Things are happening. 
On Friday, it was reported by multiple sources that the Rockies have agreed to terms avoiding arbitration with yeah. John Gray, Kyle Freeland, Carlos Estevez, and David Dahl. Yeah, yeah. Good deals all the way around. Uh, nobody cares. Everyone's mad about other stuff. But really, <laughs> I mean, yeah, actually, uh, one of those rare times where all those players got well-deserved raises. They're making significantly more money than they were before because they earned it. And the team is still getting a pretty good deal for all of them. They're all going to be worth more than they're getting paid. So one of those weird things where probably everyone gets to be happy about it. What's the deal with Trevor's story while we're talking about arbitration? So arbitration is one of the dumbest things that exists in all of sports. And, and we don't have time to explain all of it right now <laughs> because it's unnecessarily complicated. But... Uh, yeah, essentially the way it happens is blindly a player will submit a number that they think that they're worth and a team will submit a number that they think that that player is worth. And a lot of these things are based on like the history of how arbitration has worked and certain statistical measurements, some of which are super outdated. But again, we don't have time to get into that. <laughs> uh, so basically what happened was uh, the Rockies put forward a number. Trevor Story put forward a number. Uh, they had some time to try to get a little bit closer together, but only like a couple of days and th they weren't able to come to terms like all of these other players were. They're about $750,000 apart, but that's really more about like being at tier two versus tier three. If the Rockies go up that extra 750 K, it's more about what Trevor story would be eligible to make in arbitration next year, which would probably be about 2 million extra dollars. I don't think it's about that as much as it is the Rockies would very much like to get out of this arbitration game with Trevor Story and sign him to an extension, which is exactly what they did this time a year ago with Nolan Arenado, who, when this was announced, there were like four players who had avoided arbitration, and Nolan was one of the players who had not. It turned out it was because the Rockies were signing him to this long-term deal. I suspect something like that is going on here with Trevor Story. Uh, the Rockies have only gone to arbitration like four times in their history, and it's all with players no one listening to this has heard of unless you listen to the <laughs> DVR Rockies podcast. Oh, I, I think Danny Ardwan was one of them. Of course. I, I would have to. Of course, everyone knows Danny Ardwan. I'd, I'd have to look them up. I mean, I'd, I yeah, I'd have to double it because I, I don't think they've gone to arbitration more than five times in their history. It's just not a good process because if you get to that, and the reason people are worried, right, is if you do get to the – the day of, and you haven't come to a deal, then there's literally a trial where Trevor Story sits down at a table and representatives of the Colorado Rockies sit down at the other end of the table. It's the craziest so thing in baseball. So it out with and an they arbitrator. Like the Rockies have crazy. to say, like, Trevor Story sucks, pretty yeah. much. Basically, yeah. Or he's not worth what he thinks he's worth. And here are all the reasons why. He strikes out too much. He wasn't that great at defense the first couple of times. He's gotten hurt a few times. You got to bring all this guy's laundry out in front of his face. Great way to make a player not want to play for the organization. <laughs> it's anymore. really effective at that. Right. But it's also worth mentioning that, like, the Yankees went to arbitration with Derek Jeter in 1999 and won. And, you know, he played the rest of his career there. And, and th it does happen because everyone at the end of the day uh, admits that it's a really stupid system. But, uh, yeah, I it would be bad. I, I'm not going to spin it any other way. It would be bad if the Rockies had to go to an arbitration hearing with Trevor Story. Was Over $750,000. Right. Oh, right, right. Even if it's $2 million and $750,000, that's still not enough for somebody who's arguably one of eight five-tool players in all of baseball. I don't even know if this is an option. Was it player or team elected? 
No, I. Okay. <laughs> uh, on this particular, I, I don't know, but uh, my my gut tells me, especially because I've talked to Jeff Bridges before about this, and I know he's been working on a Trevor Story extension. Of course, he's always working. They're always working on stuff like this, but that that's what's going on here. They're trying to figure out a way to get him signed up long term, so they don't have to worry about next year when he would be set to make record money in arbitration and also be in the final year and they'd have to do this whole Nolan Arenado it, dance all over again. Are they going to trade Trevor Story rather than pay him? They get him locked up. Maybe don't put an opt-out clause in this one and <laughs> and you're good to go. Hockey's very much the same way where arbitration is just a <laughs> deadline to get something done by. Yeah. So It's arbitrary, you it, might say. It, <laughs> there you go. Mm-hmm. And with that, we are moving on to who won the week. Who did the most and who did the least? Who was the dog and who was the beast? Who's in the boat and who's up a creek? Let's see. Who won the week? All right, so a lot of people have been saying the Nuggets have never won the week, but they have actually won it twice before, and they won it last week. Nikola Jokic for scoring a career-high 47 points, got 59.8% of the votes. Finally. That's all it took. <laughs> Long overdue. <laughs> yeah. Then we had congrats, congrats. Uh, Miko Rantanen for being the big moose again. That got 20% of the votes. Broncos for finally having stability. Oops. That got 15% of the votes. <laughs> yep. My bad. And then Zach Stevens. <laughs> very interesting takes. take. People who are a fan of Tom Brady to Denver. 4.4% of the votes. Somehow my stability take was still better than his Tom Brady take. <laughs> Your take was good. And then they fired their offensive coordinator. But uh, right yes. up until that moment, it was pretty good. I mean, if it makes you feel better, Miko has not been great since that hat L- trick little, either. Little yeah. moose. And yeah. little small moose. Small moose. All right, and then in the comments, we had WP Nugs say the Joker <laughs> definitely won the week. So thanks for commenting. Um, WP Nugs. Oh, do you think that's how he wants his name to be? That's how it's supposed to be said. <laughs> Sorry. Clearly. <laughs> All right. Since Harrison, the Nuggets won the week, you get 30 seconds to talk about whatever you would like. 30 seconds to talk about whatever I would like. Yes. Um, Go. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I think Joe Burr is going to be a bust. Oh. <laughs> hey, <laughs> how about that? Tell me more. Tell me more. I don't know, man. <laughs> Doesn't pass my eye test. I love it. Just does not pass my <laughs> eye test, man. I love it. Too quick. Too quick of. Shelves. Too quick of an ascension to the top of the college football Ooh. world for me. One year wonder type yeah. of thing. Yeah. One year wonder. Take. I think he's gonna be a bust. You're the only. Uh, you're the only person with that take. I, <laughs> man, you deserve credit for it if it's right. I. I'm just envisioning him going to Cincinnati and being the next Andy Dalton. As someone who he's knows, definitely more gifted than Andy Dalton, <laughs> but he's. Save that. No audio. one can have. I mean, you're still in Cincinnati. That's going to be a problem. Yeah. As someone who knows five college football players, I back that take. <laughs> All right, Rudolph. Well, name your five. Uh, Tua. Okay. Joe Burrow. Yeah. Kendrick, whatever his name is, f- that just lost to Burrow. No, there's that's no Kendrick. Yeah. There's no Kendrick. Uh, okay. The Clemson quarterback. Yeah. That's Trevor Lawrence. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll give you a half for that. Uh, Visca. Yeah. And I don't know if I can come up with a fifth. Uh, you know more college nope. football players than I do. <laughs> <laughs> All right, four college players. I got four. So if that doesn't tell you Burrow's going to be a bust, I don't know what does. <laughs> well, if you guys didn't realize, the time was up. But 
That's we'll just okay. Let you guys keep talking. Well, Harrison wasn't talking. Yeah, this more. was this was the <laughs> yeah, extended conversation. The rest of us. <laughs> You're right. Harrison <laughs> finished right at 25 seconds. So, all right, Harrison, you go first now. Why do the Nuggets win the week? Yeah, Nicole Jokic and the Nuggets won the week again. Kind of already went over this a little bit earlier in the show, but I mean, he's back playing at an MVP level, and the fact that his three point shot has come around, it's been the most important offensive development of the season for Denver because. His three-point shot unlocks so much for this Denver offense. Teams have to guard him from three. That opens up cutting lanes more. Uh, th- that takes some of the defensive focus off these other guys. So just the fact that he's shooting 40-plus percent from three, it's huge. All right. Extra two seconds in there. You won the week, so you, you deserve it. Got an, it's huge in there. All right. Rudo, go. I was going to say Kadri's fists won the week, but <laughs> – since we already talked about that, I'm going to say the Detroit Red Wings lost the week, or FTRW won the week, if you will. Mm. Uh, they are currently on pace for a 48-point season, which would match the Avs' terrible season, but they also have the hardest schedule in the second half of the year wow. for a hockey team. So if you still have that deep-seated hatred for the old rivals, it's going to be a good second half for you. Time. Great take. Beautiful. Love it. Let's I, go. I think that's going to do well on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> that plays well to our Twitter crowd. <laughs> All right, Ryan. Why do the Broncos win the week? Vic Fangio won the week because he walked into the office of a very stubborn man who often <laughs> believes he's right, told him he's wrong, and presented such a convincing case for why he was wrong and why Vic was right that John Elway said, you know what? I actually think you're more right than I am and decided to make that move. It really shows how much respect John Elway has for Vic Fangio, and it shows how good Vic Fangio is at making an argument. And if things go right, this will end up being better for the Broncos overall. That was an extra five seconds. That last sentence didn't count. I want stricken from the record. Drew, go. So the Rockies won the week, first of all, because of the arbitration thing that we talked about, but also because they're not in huge trouble over a giant cheating scandal the way at least the Houston Astros, probably the the Boston Red Sox, maybe the Dodgers and Yankees are going to get wrapped up in this thing too. So at the very least, the Rockies fans get to be mad about something other than their own team, so that's good. Uh, but actually, those arbitration things really did go their way. And the fact that the Rockies, once again, get to be completely free of scandal is not – it's not nothing in this day and age in Major League Baseball. Time. You chose two. I know. You those two things. No, yes, I can't. I can't choose one. Well, well, rules Drew, here? Maybe if rules. the Rockies were involved in a scandal, they would have won the World Series. Maybe. I need more <laughs> scandals. I, you know, cheating never prospers except for when it does. Except Good guy always finishes always last. Prospers. It just might end up coming back to bite you later. I actually uh, had somebody put also, it to me. Also, if the Rockies lost their GM for the year, that would be well, great. I know. I was like, man, we <laughs> what, need to investigate you know, Jeff Breidich. <laughs> There's a lot of people the, on Rockies Twitter. There were a few people who made that, that joke. Uh, I, I will say I had one po- person pointed out to me this the, the way. They were like, can you imagine – 
how frustrating it would be if the Rockies were caught in any kind of scandal because then and it they would, were this bad. Well, <laughs> and they either were this bad or there's already that many built-in reasons to do things like not vote for Larry Walker for the Hall of Fame or oh, for really? Nolan for MVP and all this. There's already so many reasons people undercut the team, notwithstanding the, also the fact that they've been bad for most of their time in existence. So if they were, I, I think that's the biggest reason why the Rockies can't cheat and will never cheat is because if it was found out, It'd be the biggest joke ever. <laughs> Here's the thing is like years down the road when some of these Astro players are up for the Hall of Fame, people aren't going to count oh, yeah, no. them stealing signs nearly as hard against them nope. as people count playing at Coors Field. That's correct. And that is absurd. And with that, that's the end of this podcast. Be mad, folks. Be mad. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but like be happy and leave us great reviews and questions. Be mad about other things, though. But that's all we've got for you guys this week. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you guys next week.